In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. When you trust somebody with your heart, you have to accept that it might get broken. Things might not work out. You may grow apart. Who knows what will happen? At the least, though, you would hope for honesty. And if not honesty, then then maybe at least not outright fraud? Sadly, not everyone even gets that. Which brings us to a group of Canadian women, all of whom had their hearts broken and bank accounts emptied by a con artist. And that sadness and loss could have been the end of this story. But it wasn't. These women found each other one by one, and they began to talk and to plan. And that's where our story today really begins. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Amelia King is the co-creator and the host of Catch Him If You Can, a podcast that chronicles the life of and victims of and revenge by the victims of a romance con artist. Hey, Amelia. Hey, Jordan. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm hoping for the purposes of our chat today, before we start, you can define romance fraud. What is it? Okay, that's a really, really good question. So a romance fraud is a type of fraud that preys on a person's vulnerability and their emotions, right? It's a very intimate type of fraud. And essentially what happens, it's most often internet-based, okay? So, you know, we hear about those like catfish scenarios, but these are usually online relationships when the con artists, they develop these kinds of like text-based relationships with the person. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the relationship develops over time. They then eventually ask for money, you know, some crazy urgent situation comes up and you send them money. Once the con artist feels like they've extracted as much as they can, they disappear. And you know, what's interesting too is um, the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre, their definition of romance con is is sort of like framed as this internet-based con. But that's not the case in our story, right? It's so much worse than that with our con man because he actually, he carries out these relationships in person. He lives with these women. And for all intents and purposes, he has relationships that look and feel from the outside to be completely real. And we're going to talk about this podcast and your subject in a few minutes. But just to lay the groundwork, you mentioned the Canadian Anti-Fraud Agency. Do we have any numbers about how often this happens, how much money tends to be lost to it? Yeah, totally. It's actually a really big number. It's pretty staggering. So according to the Canadian Anti-Fraud Center, romance scams represented the second highest dollar loss next to investment scams in 2021. And that number 
was approximately 64.6 million of a loss in Canada. Wow. Yeah, that was spread across 1300 victims. But here's here's the here's the truth though, right? Okay. So the number is actually much larger than that because only 5% of these types of romance cons are ever reported. Hmm. Yeah, and that happens for a variety of reasons. Why? Stigma, embarrassment, blame, and then on the legal system side, the justice system, it really doesn't treat these these types of crimes as seriously as it should. It's it's a really complex issue, and I'm sure we're going to get into some of it, but it's a really huge part of what our podcast is about, you know? It sheds light on those loopholes in our in our justice system. I know this might seem obvious, but maybe you could tell me about why you wanted to tackle uh, romance cons and how how they differ from, you know, in the investment schemes that you mentioned, but just n- normal fraud. Why was this so compelling to you? Yeah, I would say, honestly, this is this is the type of fraud that probably is the most hurtful. And that's because these, these romance con artists, what they do is they prey on your vulnerabilities, right? Mm -hmm. They get you right where it hurts. So, you know, you might have a desire to find love, to share your life with someone, to start fresh. Those are all super, super intimate crimes. And that's especially true when they happen in person, like in the case of our our con artist. And and what's true about these cons too is it's so much more than just heartbreak. It shatters your confidence in yourself as like, a reliable narrator in your life. Mm. It, it shatters how well you believe you perceive the world and process information. Um, and it really shouldn't because especially in the case of our, our con man, he's built a career out of this. And what victims often say in these types of crimes is um, they feel brainwashed. They feel shell-shocked, like dirty, that they betrayed themselves, their sense of worth. They feel like they let down their family and friends. It's just, it, it's a it's a horrible, horrible feeling, right? You put your trust in someone, then they take, they take until there's nothing left and, and then they leave you and you're not just like empty emotionally, your bank account is wiped. Yeah. And then, then, you know, you have to kind of grapple with the consequences, both financially and psychologically at the same time. So tell me about your con man. Who is he? What's his name? What does he do? What is he known for? Okay, so March Vautour, who is he? He is a self-made oil tycoon and investor in new markets like uh, cryptocurrency and cannabis. He's a helicopter pilot and a war veteran. Hmm. He's a philanthropist. He's the founder of an at-risk youth facility. And the list goes on and on and on. And of course, none of it is true. Right. So March, um, he's 46. He's going on 47. He was born in 1975 in this tiny Canadian fishing town in New Brunswick. He's about 5758. He's got green eyes. He's around 185 pounds and from what we gather, he really is the black sheep of his family. So, he's this guy who's like a career con man. He's been committing crimes for the last two decades. Uh, His friends and family and his neighbors um, from his youth, they told us they saw these patterns really, really early on. Um, He's stolen from his family and friends. He is very, very good at what he does. But what we've also realized is he's very arrogant. We think he, he thinks he could never be caught again. And the crazy thing about March too is when you listen to the story you're going to find out that he's involved in so much more than just romance fraud, okay? That's probably his favorite type of scam. It's probably the one that's, you know, gotten him the most money cumulatively, but 
He's also into business fraud, investment fraud, medical fraud. Another thing he does is like he weaves these incredibly complex stories with characters that have unique backgrounds. And he uses them in his stories. He pretends to be those people. And then those characters, as you'll hear, they reoccur in his stories to other people. He often runs multiple cons at once. He's very patient. Sometimes his cons take years. So he's very different than those, um, let's say, online scammers. He's the type of person who would con his next door neighbor, who he's known since she was eight. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, he knows a little bit about everything, so he can strike up a conversation with with just about anyone. He's been described by some of our, our survivors as like, when you're with him, you feel like you're with a celebrity because he, he can talk to anyone and he gets attention. Um, he's obsessed with Tim Hortons, which is interesting because, <laughs> yeah, that's one of the reasons why he was almost caught. He's a master study of human behavior. He he will be exactly what you need in the moment. And as you'll learn in the podcast, he's really sadistic too. Hmm. He goes way beyond what's necessary to just get the money from you. And really at the center of it all is he's got open warrants for his arrest. He's been charged with fraud in the past but he's only gotten a slap on the wrist. He served six months. But he has been convicted. And I think it's important to say that here because uh, we're not using allegedly, and this is why. Yeah, exactly. No, he's got got convictions um, for his past fraud, and yet he's still free, right? Why don't you tell me, now that we've uh, discussed March himself, Mm. tell me about his victims. How did you find out about their stories and and start down this path? Good question. So... Early on in the pandemic, I found an article that said, I think the headline was exactly, it was duped women go after charming alleged con man. And that headline really bothered me. Like it didn't sit with me well. I didn't like the word duped. Actually, the definition of a dupe is someone that's easily deceived or cheated. Hmm. Yeah, after I, I read that article on the headline, I checked out the comment section, the social media comment section, and it's exactly like you would imagine. Okay, that was a mistake, though, Amelia. I know, Jordan. It was a big mistake. Um, so, obviously, it's 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 what you would think. These women are gold diggers. That would never be me. How can you fall for something like that today? Um, but anyways, when you read the article more, right, you kind of instantly see that these women are not dupes. They're professional, educated women. Um, in that particular article, they talk to Andrea Speranza, who's a fire captain. And the other ladies that are at the center of our podcast, there's Kim Nicholson, who is is a registered nurse in BC. You know, until recently, she was like the sole person working in remote indigenous communities as a health official. And then we have like a medical fraud examiner. Her name is Jody McMullen. She's amazing. And she examines like the most precise details every single day for her job. So the list goes on and on, right? Anyways, I was really inspired by the survivors. And in that article, Andrea, the fire captain, she says... You know, she she's basically made it her mission to stop this man. So I was really interested in like learning about why and how March does what he does. He has three open warrants for his arrest, over a dozen police reports, you know, past convictions for fraud. How the heck can he still be free? Mm-hmm. So I brought that to my team. Um, my partners at Pink Moon, and we were all really interested in kind of like that system side of the story, what's gone wrong in the justice system. Because a lot of these stories, like, you know, podcasts like Dirty John, excellent, excellent series, they never really dig deep into how these people get away with what they're doing. So that's kind of, 
you know, that was the inspiration. And we also, after speaking to Andrea and, and learning about how how these survivors are coming together to get them, we really want to reframe that narrative and put the survivors at the center. You know, these are not dupes. Um, this can happen to you and we want to show you. And that mission really is built into the format of our show. So that format is investigative documentary mixed with drama. So those scenes, there are certain scenes that are like recreated and reenacted with actors because we want our listeners to be able to live each con firsthand, really build empathy for people in that situation and remove that stigma so more people can come forward so we could stop this guy and others like him. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Tell me about, a little bit I know because we don't have uh, the entire podcast to run right here, but tell me about how the victims are fighting back. Oh, such a good question. Um, So I think actually Marcel is probably going to be shocked. March, Marcel, Marcel Andre Vautour, also known as March, is probably going to be shocked to know how his survivors found each other. But essentially, because of all these loopholes in the justice system and how the three women at the center of our story have been let down by police so many times and on so many heartbreaking levels, as you'll hear, they decided to pursue the case on their own. So it's kind of like kismet. It's a very interesting story in how they came together. But essentially what happens is like they harness their anger and hurt and frustration into determination. They become detectives in their own right. They divide and conquer. They use aliases. They use burner phones. They set up fake Facebook profiles. They create a resource website and tip line. And then through their own, honestly, work and internet sleuthing, they find over a dozen victims strewn across Canada, some romance fraud and some other types of fraud. And what's nuts is they actually find international victims as well. So, for example, from Vietnam, from the Czech Republic, even the UK. Yeah, and these women have basically put together like an encyclopedia on this guy and his crimes. And, and, you know, the sad part is nobody seems to care. So we want to help them amplify their story. How close have they come to actually catching him? Uh, very close. Okay, let's just say one encounter involves him jumping out of a second-story window of a Salvation Army that the ladies tracked him to. What? Yeah, yeah. Care of his love of Tim Hortons, actually, which is nuts. And then what's really crazy, too, is on the podcast, we, as the documentarians, we have an encounter with him as well in Toronto. And that story is so nuts because... Let's just say it ends in a sort of um, like a failed sting. And it's failed because the police, again, they don't care. They don't care. So that's the last aspect to this that I want to discuss. You know, you've kind of alluded to it a couple times that it's really difficult to convict for this kind of thing, that Mm -hmm. the authorities are often not interested. How does Mm -hmm. that work? Why is it so difficult to um, 
to convict in these kind of cases? Yeah, so it's it's a couple of reasons, and some of them are very deep, and some of them are, you know, as you can imagine, more like surface level. But for example, when you commit a crime in one province and there's no Canada-wide warrant, so we caught him in, in Toronto, right? We knew exactly where he was when we went to the police force uh, here. Because the crime was so low, this this in particular, what we found him doing was um, impersonating a Canadian embassy officer, which we thought, you know, that's a big crime. But anyways, that's a sidebar. When he commits a crime in a province where there's not an open warrant for his arrest, the police look at that crime in isolation, not cumulatively. And that's if he's caught. But oftentimes in this type of situation, it's very hard to catch the person while they're doing something because you're in the middle of a con and you often only realize after. Right. When he's gone. Yeah. When he's gone and it's too late. So anyways, there's no cooperation with the provinces. So that's the first thing. So what we're really, what we're really hoping the ladies get in this situation is a Canada wide warrant because that would force um, anyone who catches him essentially any province, any police force in any jurisdiction to kind of hold him. That would be a requirement. Otherwise, who pays to extradite him to Manitoba, let's say, where he has a warrant from Ontario? Who pays for that? So it's a situation of resources. That's one thing. Another thing is, in the case of romance fraud specifically, our ladies have told us that essentially it's a she said, he said scenario. So how can they prove that they didn't give him money willingly? And then let's say after the relationship goes sour, um, they complained. So in those situations, there actually has to be another crime that's committed, like bank fraud or like impersonation or something else um, to be given a second look because of the way the current laws are structured. Um, And so what happens oftentimes is these types of romance frauds, they're not relegated to criminal court, they're relegated to civil court. And that takes a long time and resources again. And in the podcast, we speak to um, an ex-RCMP officer and fraud specialist, and we also find a whole bunch of other reasons why things are the way they are. And, and it becomes, you know, really, really clear that things need to change. And some of it goes down to politics, resourcing, and and really even just incentive to solve these types of crimes. Because also, again, when you're only looking at things in isolation, right? Let's say there's a con for $45,000. He stole $45,000 from one person, one woman, let's say. It seems very, very low stakes for the police to actually go after this crime. Mm -hmm. But cumulatively, when you look at it, and we estimate he's probably stolen over a million dollars over the course of his his criminal career, right? So for the police, that's nothing. It's it's, it's, It's a small number. But to your average person... $45,000 could be devastating. It could be absolutely devastating. So how do you get this Canada-wide warrant? Like, what needs to happen for this to to go forward? It's it's really, really hard. Uh, We've been told, or the ladies have been told, that unless there's a murder that happens, a Canada-wide warrant is unlikely. But what I will say is there's some very, very serious and potentially game-changing and precedent-setting charges that are pending against March. And so we're hoping that when we do find him, because we're hoping this podcast also, you know, increases tips and lets people know about him more, is that when he's actually caught, it won't be a slap on the wrist, right? It won't be just six months. It'll be something much, much bigger. Right. We're also hopeful, you know, through this show 
that citizens are going to demand more from our justice system and and maybe, you know, re-incentivizing the system to take these cases more seriously. And, and that might mean introducing new legislative tools, right? Maybe there's going to be a lawyer who's listening and becomes interested or like a member of parliament. You never know, right? E- even our, our survivors, they've got some really great ideas. Like Andrea Speranza, she's really adamant about um, creating like a serial fraud registry, fraudster registry, sort of like the sex offender registry. That's mm. just, yeah, that's just one solution, right? And there's also this issue of um, rape by deception that we're exploring. That's that's a crime in other countries in terms of the way it's interpreted. We have that here, but think about it. These women would have never been intimate with this man had they not been deceived. So why yeah. can't we expand that interpretation like it's used in other jurisdictions here? So, you know, dirtbags like Marcel, they think twice before they do what they do. Last question then. The podcast is coming out in a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Where does the case sit right now? Like, are you waiting for anything? What's next? Yeah, yeah. So like I mentioned, essentially there's those potentially game-changing charges that are that are pending. We're waiting on those. And then in the meantime, if anybody has tips, they can hop onto our website, catchhimpod.com and share them. Amelia, thank you so much for this. It's a, it's a fascinating story. I can't wait to listen to the whole thing. Oh, you're very, very welcome. And I, I hope you um, enjoy it and, and you learn something. And I hope we catch him. Amelia King, host of Catch Him If You Can, which you can find on the Frequency Podcast Network or anywhere you get your podcasts. I hope you give it a shot. It's worth your time. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. Talk to us anytime via email, thebigstorypodcast, all one word, at rci.rogers.com. And as always, find us in your podcast players. We've seen so many great reviews from listeners lately. It's been honestly amazing. You have chased all the bad reviews so far down the list that I can't even imagine anyone will find them anymore. Until, of course, I screw up again and we get a whole new batch of bad reviews. But that's fine. It's part of the gig, and I love it. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.